you know, as Derek mentioned, you know, we're finishing up um, this series called Deeper and Wider. And if you're, new to, if you're new to Stones today, my name is Scott Luck and, and uh, I'm one of the pastors here. And our vision really is simple. Uh, we want to we be a church that's deep and wide. And, uh, and what that means is we want to be a church that's deep into God's word. That's why we read the scripture and we look at the scripture every day. Because I don't have anything to say to you, right? I don't, I don't have any wisdom. And I, I don't have any techniques I can share with you. What I do is I'm a flawed instrument. And I just, I just kind of point us to what God has said. And then that word does its work and it changes us. And so we just believe our vision as a church is to carry the life-giving word of God to to this, to this community and to build it into our lives every single day. That's our vision. It's really simple. We want to make disciples. And so that's a part of the vision that God has given us. And another part is we just want to go wide in our community and sharing God's love with a, with a community that's in desperate need. And, um, and so hence the name Deep and Wide. And part of this series and the, and the heart behind this series is the Bible tells us that vision matters, church. The Bible tells us that without a vision, the people perish, that people, you know, perish in their relationships with one another and they experience death in their relationship with God where there's no, where there's no vision. And so, and, and part of this is just the understanding that as human beings, it's our nature to kind of forget how much we forget. You know, it's, it's just part of our brokenness and our sinfulness where we really don't realize how much we forget. And we, we forget things all the time. We forget how much we need one another. We forget how much we need to worship together and sing. We forget how much we need to serve, how much we need to give and steward what God has given, given to us. We forget how much you know, we need to share the gospel. And so, and so what that means is in every church and in every human being, there's this gravitational pull away from the things that God has for his people. There's a gravitational pull within me and within you that just wants to settle for sin and compromise and comfort. We want to settle for our own way. We want to do our own thing. And so God in his, you know, God in his grace has blessed us with, you know, with the vision that he has for his church. And so that's why it's important. We, we take some time every year just to, to kind of go back through this. And so uh, that's why we're, we're doing this series called Deeper and Wider. I think people thrive because of a compelling vision. And I think God and his word has given us that compelling vision. And so what I'm going to do as best as I can and you know, and all that I have and all that God's given me is just kind of articulate that and then let God do his thing. You know, just imagine, you know, if you, you know, if you were building a house and you hired a contractor to build your house and you found a piece of property and uh, you met on, you know, you met on that property for the first time and you let the contractor kind of look at, you know, the property. And, and so you guys kind of, parted ways and the very next day you know you're driving by your property and you find the contractors out there and he's got materials out there and he's just building away and you're like man what in the world is he doing so you, you go up to the contractor and you say well, we've not even done blueprints you know we've not even done floor plans yet what, what are you building here and, and your contractor goes he goes like this he says oh don't worry about it I'm figuring it out as we go I'm not sure where this is going, but I guarantee you'll probably like it. Just trust me on that. Now, what would you do with that contractor, right? You'd fire him, right? You'd like get him out of there. And so you know that uh, what you're aiming for is not going to be successful 
um, unless you have kind of a clear picture of it ahead of time. Does that make sense? And even animals know this. Even animals understand the power of vision. Uh, you, know, you know, in greyhound racing, you know, I, I don't know if how many races, greyhound races you've been. I've never been to one actually myself. But I do know this, that they use this mechanical rabbit. And they've trained the dogs to chase this mechanical rabbit around the track. And so I heard about this one dog track where the mechanical rabbit just blew up mid-race. Just got electrocuted and just exploded. And there's just smoke and, and that, you know, it was fried rabbit at that point. But the dogs just stopped racing. You know, they just kind of just stopped. And some of them laid down in the dirt and some of them just kind of meandered back to the starting point. And uh, some of them started just barking at the crowd as they figured out there was a whole crowd of people looking at them. And so even dogs understand the power of a vision. They needed something to be chasing. And so God has created us with a need to have a picture of something. And, and so we need these pictures uh, in our life, pictures or visions of what it means to have a godly marriage, what it means to, you know, to have a Christ-centered family, what it means to, you know, to glorify God in our business and in our jobs every single day. We need visions of that. And the thing about it is, you know, people that have, you know, vision can change the world. Have you noticed that? Like God has given some gifts where they can just cast a vision to a crowd and they can literally change the world. I, you know, obviously uh, Adolf Hitler had a gift for casting a dark vision, didn't he? And he did in World War II and it impacted the world. It impacted everybody. And, and praise God that God put, you know, in his way, you know, men like Winston Churchill, you know, as the Nazi scourge was moving west in Europe and just invading France and on their way to Great Britain, praise God that he raised up a man, Winston Churchill, who also could cast a vision, who went on the radio and said, we will fight them in the air and we will fight them in the ocean. We will fight them on the beaches. We will fight them in our streets and we will prevail. That's what he told the people of England. And I mean, that was a compelling vision where they said, we're getting in on this. And praise God, you know, the Nazi plague was stopped. I, I think about Martin Luther King, you know, on, the, you, know, on you know, the National Mall where he was saying he stood up in front of thousands of people and said, you know, I have a dream. I have a dream where we're no longer divided by race in this country. I have a dream and he just described it and he personalized it and he made it real. And I mean, he impacted an entire generation. And so we know the power of vision, don't we? And that's what this really, this series has been all about. And you know, the good news, you know, even on top of all of that is God has given us a vision for his church. God has given us a vision. There are pictures and visions of, of his church all the way from Genesis to Revelation, all the way. They're, they're all over the place. And so there's a, there's a part in Ephesians 5 where we really begin to see, you know, God's vision for his bride. And I want us to read it this morning. It's Ephesians 5 verses 25 through 27. And, and I'm going to invite you, if you're willing and able, would you stand as we read the word of God today? So the Apostle Paul writes this, he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, 
so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but not the word of God. It stands forever. You may be seated. I love that. Now, what, what's he saying in this, in this passage of Scripture? I, 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 think he's, I think he's really doing a couple of things. I think what Paul is doing is he's really casting vision on a couple of different levels is, is what, he's, what he's doing in this passage. I think, I think very practically, very simply, he's casting vision for what it looks like to have a Christian marriage. And he's specifically casting vision for husbands, you know, our role in the marriage. And so if you kind of boiled it down and just sifted it down and got it to its simplest point, it would be, men, that as husbands, we are to love our wives as Christ loved the church, that we are to lay down our life for, you know, our wife, just as Jesus did for the church. So what he's doing is he's casting vision for what it means to have a godly marriage. But I think on a whole nother level, he's casting vision for his church. And he's talking about what God has done and what God is doing for his church. That God himself has a vision for the church and he's taking the church to a specific location. He's taking the church to a specific destination. And he wants his church to be a certain, uh, to have certain qualities, right? Certain uh, character uh, that defines who his church is. And so, so what he's describing here is, is how God not only made the church through sending his son Jesus, and then we're grafted into God's family because that's what, you know, that's what the church really is, is God's family. But he's not only created the church, but he's actively building the church. And that's what he's saying. He says, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot, wrinkle, or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. And so what he's doing is he's sanctifying her and cleansing her and working in her so that she'd be holy and radiant. In other words, I, I think what, what, what he's talking about here is, is that God's picture of the church is that she would be beautiful. God wants us to be beautiful in him, radiant, you know, holy, and without blemish. And so I think that's what he's talking about. And, and I think specifically what you see is that God himself, through Jesus, went beyond himself to not only make the church, to create the church, but to build this kind of beautiful church by making her holy. He extended himself. He went beyond himself in serving and in sharing, you know, God's good news. And so what I want to do this morning is I just want to take a few minutes and I just want to paint a picture that, you know, that of what it really looks like for the church to go beyond. What does it look like for the church to really just extend herself just as Christ extended himself for us. And, and I, think, I, I think another way of saying it is, is, is what does it really look like for the church to go beautifully beyond herself? And so I just think there are three very simple things. Now what I'm going to share with you is not anything new. I'm not, I've not come up with any kind of new insights or, or new dreams about this. But it could be something we've forgotten. 
It could be that what we're kind of talking about today is something maybe we've drifted from a little bit because we've got that gravitational pull. So, so what does it mean for us as a church, as the beautiful bride, to go beyond ourselves? I think it means three things. I think number one, it means that we love God's good news. We love God's good news. Now, what do I mean by that? I, I think, you know, I, I think what that really means is it means we've been changed by grace. That we've, you know, that we have received God's mercy, that we've, that we've experienced his love in our life personally. So it's not just an idea that, you know, that, you know, the pastors kind of talk about on Sunday, but it's, it's a reality that I am loved and I am loved by God. And, and so, and so when you've experienced that church, it changes you. It, 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 it transforms you. And, and so, and I think this is where service, serving the body of Christ and serving each other and then sharing the gospel, I think it begins right there. It begins because, it begins right there because we've experienced his love. We've experienced his grace and it's changed us. And, and so, and so we love the story of the saving love of God because it saved us. And that's what motivates our service. That's what motivates us to share the gospel. That's the beginning point. Now, you know, I, as I was kind of thinking through this message, I, you know, I really could have, I, I could have shared with you all five of the great commissions in the New Testament. And you're like, I thought there was one. No, there's five. Five great commissions. I could have shared those with you. I could have shared, you know, all of Paul's admonitions to, you know, his churches that they you know, that they would be, uh, you know, ambassadors, that they would be light in a dark world, that they would, you know, witness, uh, that they would testify, that they would be bold. I, I could share all of those commands for you and I to serve and to share the gospel. And man, I could just lay the law. I could just, I could just lay it right on you so that you walk out of here feeling guilty today. And you'd probably serve a little bit and you'd probably share a little bit as long as that guilt lasts. As long as we can keep, keep the guilt meter going, then we can, we can keep you moving in a direction. But you know what? That's not God's heart for his people. And I think God's heart for his people is that our service and our sharing flows out of a heart of gratitude that we've been saved. That we're not worthy to receive his mercy. We're not worthy in this congregation to confess our sins and to receive the promise of his forgiveness. We're not worthy of that. And so it's out of that that we serve. It's out of his love that we love one another. It's out of his love that we share the love of God with other people. And I think the question is this, do you love being loved by God? You know, is his grace a daily reality in your life? You know, Adam talked about, you know, not compartmentalizing, you know, what we do here, you know, in a little compartment that's separate from our real life on the outside. He said, what we need to do is bring our real life right into here. How do you do that? By living in God's grace, right? Letting God's love and grace define your everyday life. Is God's grace a present reality in you? Or, or is it something that you experienced in third grade, but you've just grown cold and distant? over the years and you're just kind of trusting in what happened back then but but God has been far from you I love what the hymn writer says he says I love to tell the story of unseen things above of Jesus and his glory of Jesus and his love I love to tell the story because I know tis true it satisfies my longings 
as nothing else can do. Do you love to tell the story? You know, wouldn't it be great if we had the time today where we could just break up into groups? And, um, boy, that would be a trip, wouldn't it? Let's all break up into groups of four to five, you know. And then, and then, and then everybody just goes around and just shares your story of rescue. Everybody goes around and shares their story of grace. Wouldn't that be amazing? That'd be awesome. And so, you know, as the church that lives beautifully beyond themselves, you know, we really are a group of people who live in the gratitude that we've been adopted in the family of God. That we didn't deserve to be. But we've been brought in and we've been made heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Jesus Christ. That Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, which was all of us. Which was all of us. And I just wonder, church, are you filled with wonder over that? You know, are you filled with amazement that you were loved by God? Does it amaze you that God has regard for you? That he not only loves you, but he likes you. Do you know that? Do you know, you know, as you think about the church going beautifully beyond and the church, you know, just loving God's good news. Do you realize that, you know, it's, it's, not a, it's not a boasting in something that we've done. Like we were worthy people to be saved. You know, we were, we're good, you know, middle class folks and we live a good life. And so God was obligated to save us, right? Because we're good people. We're good hardworking Hoosiers, right? No, it's not that. We, I, I think what makes the church go beautifully beyond is we have no righteousness of our own. The only thing we contributed to our salvation was the sin that made our salvation, you know, real. That's the only thing we bring to the table. So it's not like we can boast anything in of ourselves like we're good people. The only thing we boast in is we boast in the cross of Jesus Christ. We boast in his righteousness that he shared with us. You know, and I've shared with you guys before. You know, what's going to make heaven heaven is not the fact that we saved ourselves. You know, that we were good. That's not what's going to make heaven. Could you imagine if that's how we were saved? You know, we, could you imagine heaven, what it would be like if we were to achieve and attain our own salvation? We would walk around comparing ourselves one another. Well, what did you do to get in? Well, I did more than you. I'm better than you. That wouldn't be heaven. That would be hell. And so the truth of the matter is we have been radically changed by grace. We've been saved not by what we do, but by what Jesus has done for us. That's called the radicality of God's amazing grace. And it changes you. And you're never the same again. You know, I, some of you have heard me tell the story uh, that De Denise Bannerman tells. She was in college. She was a youth ministry major. And uh, she was taking her final exam in, in youth ministry. And this was at uh, Hannibal LaGrange College in Missouri. And uh, so she showed up a little bit early before the exam to take the test and start well, to, to, to go through the study session. And so uh, a lot of people were in there. A lot of people were anxious and nervous, you know, like we are before a test. And so the professor was in there and he was going through the study guide with them. And then all of a sudden he starts going off the study guide and just sharing with them and reviewing with them stuff that they had not covered in class. And I mean, according to her, the tension level in the class rises because people are like, we've never heard this before. You know, what in the world, you know, where, where are you getting? And so one brave student raises his hand and says, professor, we've never heard this before. We thought the exam was going to cover, you know, the study guide. And uh, now you're giving us new material. And he's like, well, uh, the syllabus says that, 
the exam's going to cover not only the study guide, but everything in the book as well. And you're responsible for that. And, and the student was like, oh, can't argue with that. Uh, so here you go. So study session was over with. He passes out the test. He says, turn it face down on your, on your desk. I'll tell you when to turn it over. He tells them they turn it over. And Denise says, there is my name at the top of the exam with the grade A plus at the top. And then there's a note that says, every answer has been completed with the right answer on this exam. The creator of the exam has taken the exam for you in your place. And you have, you have received as a gift from the creator, an A+. And all of a sudden, that tension turns to joy, and uh, there's just excitement and fervor in the room. And so the professor goes around the room, and he asks each student individually, what was your grade? What, what, what grade did you get? And they say A+. Plus. And he asks them, you know, uh, do you deserve the grade that you're receiving? And did you, your preparation, you know, help you achieve that final grade? And all the students answered those questions. And then finally, the professor said, you know, there's some things... You can learn by research, certainly. There's some things you learn by lecture, but there's certain things you can only learn by experience. And he said to his class, today you've experienced grace. You've experienced grace. And he said, you know, 100 years from now, you're gonna, you're gonna realize that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life because of Jesus being your Lord and Savior. And you're gonna realize you did nothing to put it in that book that it was done for you as a gift you've experienced grace now I love that story but here's the question I have do you think that those students kept that quiet that day do you think do you think that they just kind of walked out of that class after receiving grace an a plus grace do you think that they just walked out and they were just real tight-lipped about it and they didn't say a word. I guarantee you that that professor on that day was the talk of that, of that college. I guarantee you they could not contain it. I guarantee you they got on their phone. They called their parents. They called their friends. They told their roommate. They told every single person who would listen about the academic salvation that they received that day. You know, the truth of the matter is, is some of you have lost the joy of your salvation you know, as Pastor Woody would say, you've been baptized with vinegar. You know, you're the frozen chosen and you've forgotten the grace in your life. See, a church that goes beyond itself is a church that loves God's good news. But there's a second part of this, and that is this. A church that goes beautifully beyond loves one another, loves each other. A beyond church, an outwardly focused church is a church that loves life on life, right? It loves relationships. It's a, it's a church that, that just overflows with love. Because when you've experienced the love of God first and foremost in your own life, it's, there's so much it just overflows and spills on to other people. I love in Acts chapter 2 where, you know, Luke tells us about, you know, the early Christians, they were together. It's one of my favorite verses. It, you know, it just says this, all of those who believed were together and they had all things in common. They were together and they had all things in common and then they gave to anyone as they had need. They gave money, they gave clothes, they gave food, they gave treasure, they, whatever it is. They just, what they did is they just served. They just loved one another. 
And I think it's the vision that God has given us for us to be that kind of church where we serve one another and we love one another. And I've said so many times that it's certainly not unique to me. I didn't come up with this, but we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, by the finished work of Christ alone. But it's not a faith that is alone. It's a faith that's marked by an overflow of God's love for us. That's what it is. You know, in Acts chapter 6, there's the story of the first church split. Uh, almost church split, I should say. So if you know the story, you know that there were these Jewish widows in the city of Jerusalem. And um, they were poor and they needed, they needed support. They needed some needs met. And the early Christians were meeting those needs by giving them a daily distribution of food. Isn't that amazing? So, uh, so they were relying on the church rather than the government. Maybe it should be like that. Maybe that's a better model, but, but that's a, another sermon on another day. But here's, here's the thing, but something started to happen. And there were another group of widows in Jerusalem who were from Greece. And they lived there in the exile, and then they came home. But they, it, things economically weren't much better at home. And so you've got these, you know, Jewish widows, but you've got these you know, Grecian Jewish widows. And the Grecian Jewish widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Somehow they weren't getting any. And you can only imagine the friction that that caused. And that was almost, that was, that was almost the first split in the church. So the church leaders came together and said, we need to pray about this. We need to talk about this. We've got to solve this problem. We need to meet the needs in a better way. We need to kind of change the structure a little bit. And so they, they, you know, they recruited some godly people on a team and they said, you're going to take care of this. You know, the apostles did that. You're going to take care of this. We're going to focus on prayer and the ministry of the word. And I, I love what Luke says. He says something along the lines, I forget how exactly how he says it, but he says, you know, in the and the church agreed upon this. They were all in agreement, which is the only time in the history of the church where the church has been all in agreement about something. And what happened? Luke tells us, and the word of God spread even more. Why? Because everybody served, everybody gave, everybody moved, everybody loved. You see, Martin Luther says it like this, God doesn't need your good works but your neighbor does. Your neighbor does. And there are widows in our community here. There are widows in our community outside of here that need your good works. There are children that need your good works. There are students that need your good works. There are those that visit stones every single week that need your good works. And those good works flow out of a love. And then last, we love our neighbors. And so as we think about a church that goes beautifully beyond, as we think about being a radiant bride, it's, it's a love that we receive, that we give out, not only to the people here, but we, we let that love just filter into the community around us. We love our neighbors. We love because God loves us and he, because he loves our neighbors. It's really not that complicated. It's just loving people. And so, and so that's at the heart of what he wants. He wants us, he gives to us so that we can give away. And um, it looks, you know, it looks very practical like, like this. It's, it's loving people locally, you know, right here in Martinsville or Mooresville or, you know, Perry or Southport or, you know, Greenwood or Center Grove. We just love our local neighbors. 
and, um, and we want the blessing of our local neighbors. And uh, it just kind of reminds me of, you know, the story of, you know, Jeremiah, and, and uh, he was a prophet. And, and so the Babylonians, if you know your Old Testament history, they conquered Israel because of Israel's sin and rejection of God. So God let the Babylonians just conquer the people of Israel. And so the Babylonians, man, they, they were rough. I mean, they killed a lot of men, women, and children. They saved some and sent them off back to Babylon to live in exile. So you have Jewish people living in Babylon in exile under Babylonian rule. You'd only imagine the difficulty that would be. And so, and so what God challenged the Jews living in the city of Babylon was he, he said, I, I want you to settle here. I want you to get married here. I want you to raise a family here. I want you to seek the peace of Babylon here. I want you to seek the blessing of the nation of Babylon in this place. And, and I want you to do it through how you live your life every day. That you live your life centered on God and his word every single day. And there were a lot of false prophets that rose up and said, Babylon doesn't deserve that. You don't need to do that. You need to curse Babylon. You need to rebel against Babylon, which would have been, which would have been suicide. But God's word stood true and the people, the people sought the peace and the blessing of Babylon. And, and here's the thing, church. I think that's what we're supposed to do. I think as, Christ, as Christians, as Christ followers, we live in the new Babylon right now. We really do. And I think there are a lot of people in churches that kind of want to go hide in a closet, you know, and wait for Jesus to come back. You know what I mean? It's just like, oh, I just want to hide right here. And, and aren't you glad that Jesus didn't abandon a sinful world? And neither should we. We should plant ourselves, build relationships, get married, and seek the peace of American in Babylon right now. That, that's, that's what we need to do. We need to, we need to live so that when people see us, they know that there's something different about us right here in Babylon. Does that make sense? And so, you know, Jesus didn't abandon us. He, he came to reclaim us for himself. And I think that's at the heart of what we want to do. So, so part of loving our neighbors is our church just sharing the gospel with our neighbors. Just sharing Jesus with them and loving them. And, and it means that we're not afraid to do that. It means that we live in boldness, but we, we do it gently. It means that we, we share boldly the, the grace that has transformed us, but we do it winsomely, right? We, we, we do it in a, in a way that's compelling. We do it in a way that reflects wisdom and being wise in how we act with outsiders. So our vision as a church is to equip you to be evangelists, to be good news sharers in our community in Babylon all around us. That's, that's what it is. But I think our vision to reclaim this is also just, you know, through serving, you know, and through, you know, through just giving of ourselves. And, you know, we're excited. We're going to be opening this healthcare clinic in January. It will open, I promise. And uh, we're excited about that. And, we're, you know, we're already doing auto care and, and homework help. And we offer a free meal. And, and, and there's just so many other things that we're doing. You need to be in on that. You need to be doing that. We're doing something like it. You know, and over the next five years, I mean, it would be my dream that we could offer addiction counseling free to the community. 
I don't know if you realize, but there are a lot of people struggling with drug addiction. A lot of people. I would, I, you know, in my, over the next five years, I'd love to see life skills classes that we offer to folks to help them just with practical things in their daily life. I'd love to see that. And we really don't have the space to provide that right now. That's what deep and, Deeper and Wider is all about. We also want to go globally. You know, we don't want to just stay here in Central Indiana, but, but, but we, you know, we're offering mission trips to Las Vegas, you know, for students. And, and um, you know, we've offered trips to Haiti, and we've got a big announcement that we're going to be sharing about our work in Shadrach, Haiti. It's, you know, we're going to share that in a couple of weeks. It's so exciting uh, what, what is happening in Haiti. Well, we would love for you to go and be, be a part of that. You know, I know next summer we'll be sending a a medical mission team to El Salvador. Uh, We'd love for you to go if you haven't been. And you don't have to be a doctor or a nurse. I mean, if I can go on that trip, man, you can can go on that trip uh, because it's just really loving people. And so that's our vision. A lot of people think I'm the evangelist. A lot of people think I'm the one that shares good news with the people in the community. No, you're the one. You're the one. And so our vision is to equip you and empower you to be just that. I don't know if you heard about this uh, dust-up that the Princess Meghan Markle caused. Uh, I think it was about a month ago. You know, she, uh, she's, she is the Duchess of Sussex, and uh, she's part of the royal family now. And uh, she created quite a dust-up recently. Do you know how? She closed her own door. That's how, yeah, definitely. Social media just lit up um, because there were video and pictures of her getting out of her car. She was visiting the Royal Academy of Arts and she happened to close the door behind her. And everybody was saying, you know, royalty should never do that. Royalty should never close the door. But some people praised her because she's so down to earth and she has such a humble attitude. And then others joke that she may be put out of her job. You know, she may be disconnected from the royal family. And I don't understand all the etiquette of that, but I do know this. That as strange as that seemed to some people, there was something stranger that happened 2,000 years ago when the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords left his throne to become a baby, to serve and to save that which is lost. And I think a church that goes beautifully beyond is a church that does just that. So I challenge you, let's go beyond. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would would just remind us of the good news of your grace. We confess the times in our life where we grow cold, we we grow indifferent, we, we grow stubborn to the workings of your grace. Heavenly Father, forgive us. God, there's no life outside of you. There's no satisfaction from the world. There's no salvation in and of ourselves. It's all from you. And I pray God that this body of Christ, this local church would not be known for 
you know, how cool the band is or how great their sports programs are. But God, I just ask that by your grace, we would be known for, man, those people have a real sense of belonging there. Those people are becoming like Jesus. Those people know what it means to go beyond themselves. I pray that in this community, our church would be known for those those three things. And so God, we give you glory because it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by your spirit, says the Lord. So Lord, work in us today. Work in our marriages, work in our relationships, work work at our work, work in our neighborhoods and use us. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name, amen.